Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I've got Joe Highland, and it's nice to have Joe on my program because just recently I was on his podcast. So, Joe, thank you for the reciprocation and joining me today. How are you doing? Dave, I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I feel fortunate to have you because I know you guys are right in the midst of webinar world. And uh, where's the next one happening? I know I spoke at the one in San Francisco a few weeks ago, but where, where are you guys on the circuit now? Yeah, webinars are global. We are we're we're in Sydney next week, um, and then um, then after that we're going to be in Singapore, uh, and then we finish the year in London in the fall. Sydney and then Singapore and then London. I am going to London, but I'm going on vacation. Uh, when is that? June twenty seventh with the family. Going to do the British Isles tour. Let me ask you this: uh, as we jump into our content, jump right in. Is webinar strategy different? around the world than it is in the U.S.? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Uh, it, it is. Um, it's pretty mature here in the U.S. Um, uh, I would almost say it's reverse order of maturity from the um, cities I listed, uh, at least for us. Um, London is not as mature, uh, or the U.K. in general, as it is here in the, uh, in the United States, um, and even less so in Sydney and Singapore. Um, we actually got pulled into... Uh, all three of those countries from from our customers. So um, what we find is, you know, large multinational companies as as one thing, one channel works in a given region. In this case, here in the U.S., um, then it gets rolled out uh, to the to the other nations. So um, yeah, our customers pulled us into those countries. But yeah, lower adoption, I'd say. Good to know. I would like to, if it's cool with you, I'd like to split this podcast into kind of like two parts. I mean, we can flop back and forth, but I'd like to talk about webinars in general, some best practices, and then also kind of a little bit about the state of marketing and just some of the things that you and I have riffed on recently around, um, well, MarTech and some of the BS going on, some of the ABM. So is that cool with you if we break it into two parts? I am down. I know you are always worried about these being, uh, quote, self-serving and um, talking about webinars. For those of you who don't know, On24 is a webinar platform and live um, experiential marketing platform. So, you know, Joe, Joe wants to make sure this isn't a big commercial. But you know what? Joe knows a heck of a lot about how to have effective webinars. So that's where I'd like to focus is some of the tips and tricks that I use, that he uses, and his team and then we can talk about some of these other mutual passions. By the way, if everybody doesn't notice, my voice is way better. And why is that? Because show season is over. I spent five, well, I think six weeks doing trade shows, and it just wrecked my voice from so much speaking, being in loud environments. How about you? Did you how many shows did you have to hit, Joe? A lot. And actually, I'm, I'm continuing because I said I'm going over uh, to Sydney uh, next week and then the following week this is like the world's worst planning it's my own fault um we were supposed to do uh webinar world in sydney earlier i had a whole bunch of events um you know, smaller events that i'm speaking at um events we're hosting in london that was supposed to be later anyway long story short webinar world sydney got pushed back the london events got pushed up uh and so i'm flying to sydney i come home on a friday so i'm gonna get back friday morning and on monday i fly out to london 
Um, so I am actually prepping to just be destroyed in two weeks. So I think I'll sound like you did. Yeah, I was rough, but I'm back. My voice is back, which is good. All right, let's let's ping pong some tips uh, on effective webinars. And you know what? That is, um, we'll just go back and forth. My first tip is to change voices. So just like I've been doing with you, um, you speak a little bit and then engage someone else, assuming you're doing a webinar with more than one person. And the reason is um, it has a lot to do with neuromarketing and that if we change voices during a webinar, it re-engages the audience. So watch this. I'll say, Joe, what do you think of that tip? That's pretty good. And you couldn't help but listen to Joe's response because it forces your brain to hear the the different. And the reason is because we as humans are wired to detect contrast and a change in either speed like that or just changing voices will keep re-engaging your audience, which is important because, as you know, when you're doing a webinar and your audience is sitting at their computer, most likely, um, there's a lot of potential distractions, the phone, email, chat, Slack, what have you. So that's my tip. You ready for yours, Joe? Yeah. Um, I will go, I'll go deep on this. Uh, so, so stay with me while I get somewhat meta. Um, so when I was in college, I, uh, I was considering majoring in majoring or minoring, taking, taking economics classes. Uh, I was considering taking an economics class and, um, someone I was really good friends with, uh, who was a few years older said, there's actually one principle, um, which will determine if, if you should take any econ classes and if you could even major in it. And it was the concept of supply and demand. So, so pretty basic, pretty fundamental. Uh, but my friend said, listen, there are, this is something that either resonates um, with an individual or it doesn't, right? And, and this relationship between supply and demand and, you know, um, prices changing based off of, uh, based off of those two factors, uh, if you get that, you can go really deep. And so I would say um, for marketing, uh, that, that principle, if we're to, to draw a point of comparison here, is around do you get that it's never about you and it's always about your audience? And if you, in fact, get that, you can do great marketing. And I lead with that. Um, I, I told you it was a little meta. I lead with that because there are certain channels that we absolutely violate that basic principle with. Uh, and I think webinars is a, is a good example of this, where uh, rather than saying what's a, a, you know, a nice tactic or, or trick with webinars, what, what people get wrong with webinars is it, it becomes very promotional, very self-serving, uh, it feels um, it it feels like a a boring lecture that you attend, uh, and and people's uh, your audience members' attention wanes, and when when it's not about them, um, when you don't make it interactive, you lose people. And if you're going to lose people, you sh you should save the time and money and not even do the event in the first place. Good point. All right, here's my next one. Um, I like that point, by the way, about which is the hero is your audience. It's not you, and it's it's not all about you and your product. It's it's about them and flipping that. All right, my next one is the power of storytelling, which is um, some keynotes that I have coming up. Actually, the first keynote I have is the the it's going to be up in Montana, and the title is the power between your lips. And I'm going to be teaching a lot about neuromarketing and the science of storytelling. And, and I just find that on a webinar, if you tell a story, like for example, 
So, Joe, I don't know if you know this, but several years ago, uh, when On24 was about to embark on their digital marketing journey, you guys didn't have a marketing automation system, and you were evaluating different platforms, and it came down to you guys making a decision to go with Eloqua. And I was working with Eloqua at the time, and uh, they said, hey, Dave, would you and DemandGen be up for doing the implementation of On24's um, Eloqua deployment? And I said, yes. So I'm just going to pause there. True story, but hopefully listeners just, you know, to the podcast just felt more engaged with the content. And they should be short stories. They should be 400 to 600 words, you know, a minute or two in length. But storytelling is really, really engaging. And uh, as you said, it shouldn't be a lecture. It shouldn't be a boring seminar. Nobody wants to listen to that. And stories create visuals in the mind and way better engagement. So I'm going back over to you for your next tip. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a great point. It's kind of like your first point that um, breaking something up, hearing a different voice uh, is, is, is a way to keep people's attention. Uh, an, another an, Another way is to have actions um, uh, broken up. So the more control uh, that you can cede to your attendees, um, the more engagement you'll have, and, and truthfully, the more people will pay attention. Um, so and there's lots of ways you can do that, whether it's um, polling, uh, Q&A, some, some of which these are, these are basic functions, but it, it's not about the function itself. Um, it's, it's, it's how you, you use them. Some of our customers, uh, use something in our product called, um, ideation, which is you just throw out a, a topic or you open something up and you allow, a, you know, your, your audience members to say what they would, they would, they would like to hear. So it's putting, it's putting the attendee in control. So rather than sitting through a boring 40 slide presentation, um, now all of a sudden I as an audience member can say, shit, here's what I'm interested in talking about. And if enough people agree, then that's what the presenters will discuss. Like I'm going to pay attention if that's the case. So, so seed control to your attendees whenever possible. Good one. Um, I was going to go with ask plenty of questions and that I think is exactly the tip that you gave. So, um, it is polling is a way to do that. Also in your just talk track, you know, if you can, uh, we have this fight or flight instinct, right? As human beings, kind of going back to my passion around neuromarketing. And if you ask someone a question, even if it's to an audience, like this is a non-direct question, like, have you ever wondered what the best marketing technology stack looks like? And if you ask a question like that and time it right, um, you're going to get, again, engagement. And if it's whether it's polling, like you said, using your platform or just having a dialogue that throws out questions, it's a great way to engage the audience, not just from they're going to trigger a listening reflex, but they're going to think about the content being shared. All right, you got another one? I, I got at least one or two good ones left. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, shit, I could talk about this for an hour. Um, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of webinars. Um, share your face. Uh, I, 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 perhaps that's blasphemy to say while we're doing a podcast. Um, but I, I think if someone's sitting through particularly a, a pretty, you know, a, a pretty deep topic, uh, don't use just slides. Um, add in video. Uh, our data suggests uh, that we see much higher uh, engagement when, when there's video uh, on top of audio and slides. For sure. That's a good one. Let's, let's follow that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip my suggestions and go to the visual one since you talked about visual. And that is slide content. Um, I'm going to break this into two parts. Number one is 
if you are demoing your product, demo the product. What I mean by that is don't spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes in PowerPoint setting up you know, the use case for why someone should buy your product. Um, depending on what audience you're marketing your solution to, they probably understand their needs and pain points really well. And if marketing or someone else in the organization, product management, I don't know, um, suggested the need and showed you lots of slides to set things up, if you're demoing a product, just get into the demo quick. Introduce yourself, uh, tell a little story if you want in terms of why the product was built, and then just get right into the demo because you can use the demo format as a way to reinforce whatever points you were going to make in the in the foreplay of the slides. But um, you know the brain can only process so much, and if you spend 15, 20 minutes of your demo, even 10 minutes, I'm sorry, of your webinar, sharing slideware before you actually get into the product, by the time the product comes on screen, they might be distracted or they've certainly consumed a lot of mental energy listening to you. And um, you really want to start strong in your webinars, and it's a great way to just get right into the demo. I have so I have so many comments right now. One, I love that you were able to to work in foreplay into a business setting. Yes, and I think appropriately so. Um, two, it the reason. So you're right. Um, how frustrating is that when you actually want to see how something works, and instead, you know, like the head of marketing is like, "Oh, here, I'm going to kick things off and tell you why this is important." I think the challenge that um, I've I've seen in my career, and I, I think I think is, is is probably what occurs for most companies, is the person giving the demo tends to be technical. Now, I'm not saying that's a good idea. I'm just saying what tends to happen, and the fear is they're gonna you know the the demoer is going to go so deep into the speeds and feeds that they won't properly set context. But you're right. Um, then it's a frustrating, again, it's the basic principle of marketing. It's not all about them, right? Um, in this case, where, where, where it really should be. Um, so you have this, um, what feels like pretty big departures. You have slides to start a demo. That's total bullshit. Um, and then 10 minutes later, you actually see the product. But if you actually hit someone providing the demo who could give that context and and ground the discussion before they showed the killer features, I, I think I think you'd have a, a winning proposition. I just, I, I don't see that very often in the market, I have to say. Yeah, no, good point. Also kind of follows to like who the host of the podcast is and their style. You know, in this era of YouTube, it is absolutely okay to be casual, approachable, um, yeah. friendly sounding. If I had kicked off this podcast with, Thank you for joining today's podcast. Today on the podcast is Joe Highland. Joe is the chief marketing officer at On24, who's headquartered in San Francisco. That's boring as shit, right? Nobody wants to listen to that. And, you know, I'm not saying I did the world's best intro, but it's okay to say, hey, thanks for joining today's podcast. We've got Joe Highland. He's the chief marketing officer, and we're going to talk about webinar best practices. But, you know, it shouldn't sound like you've done it for the first time. And I think people get too caught up in writing scripts because it's hard for them to be maybe natural. But just put your bullets and make sure you hit your bullets and, you know, talk like you're telling a friend, your mom, your dad, someone about what you're doing because it's way more engaging. Yeah. Well, you, you brought us to our next, uh, our next um, uh, piece of advice, our next trick, which is don't have scripts. I think 
I, I think when you have a, a written out paragraph form script uh, that the presenter has in front of them, disaster ensues. It just doesn't come across natural. Totally agree. I mean, you got to be prepared. You and I, you know, created, uh, you know, I'm going to share a little secret with everybody who listens to Demand Gen Radio. Do you want to know how I do my podcast? I have Disneyland in my head. And there's one, my family loves Disneyland. And there's a particular ride at Disneyland Los Angeles called the Jungle Cruise. And everybody who gets in the Jungle Cruise boat, they think they're going on this, you know, adventure. Uh, and, and you know, this random set of things is going to happen down the river. Well, of course, they don't really think that. But the point is, the boat knows where the boat's going. It's on a track. And the guide on the boat knows where the boat's going. Joe and I know where we're going to go. We don't have to have to script as long as we're very comfortable with the subject matter. So the, the point is, is that when you have a webinar, make sure you know what you're going to be covering and follow that. And hopefully you have really good visuals. And the vi really good visuals are not PowerPoint slides chock full of words that you are either reading or feel the need to regurgitate, but the slide should just serve as very good visual backdrops for the content that you're, you're sharing. So don't be overly scripted, but have those major milestones of sections that you're going to hit and some really good visuals to do it. All right, you got any more? I got it, one or two more. Um, uh, yes. Uh, again, uh, a webinar should be an extension of your marketing. Don't do one size fits all webinars. Like, don't be afraid to to put on um, a, a super detailed presentation. Um, you know, generally, webinars are not five or ten minute events, though they they can be. Um, so if someone's willing to sign up for 30, 30 minutes or an hour of their time, like they want to learn, like give them that. That's an opportunity. There's, there's a social contract between the two of you. Yeah. As you said, don't, don't put up bullshit. Don't, don't do high level marketing slides. Um, and, um, and, and, and be true to what they're signing up for. Like stay on topic and go as detailed as possible. All right, I got one for you. Since you like sexual innuendos that I work in in a professional way, I want to know if size matters. I want to know if the length of a webinar, is there an ideal length to a webinar? The length is determined by the quality of your content. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not trying to be cutesy with that. I, I really mean it. If, if you have, like, like we, have, we have some, we have customers who put on 90 minute or two hour webinars like that, that, that that's kind of rare, but the content justifies it. Um, we saw that around um, tax regulation, for example. We have there's actually a lot of webinars on our network that are specific um, for a, accountants um, and being compliant with new tax regulation. Well, that's a topic that you don't want. You don't, you don't want to, you don't want to paint with broad brushstrokes on that. You want to be very detailed, right? So so you can go super long. Um, and then there are other examples, even though I said it's rare to have a five or 10 minute webinar. Um, if you don't have that much to say and it's a quick update, but you, you wanted you wanted some sort of a visual and you wanted to track engagement during the event, um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with a, a 10 minute webinar. So content di dictates it though. Love it. Uh, and it, you know, if you're really well uh, rehearsed in, in terms of familiar with the content, you can get a lot covered in 10 minutes. 
Yeah. You can you can put in a lot of content in a short period of time. All right, my tip is actually another question of you because you guys are the experts. I would like to know the current state of live versus recorded, and let me let me unpack that a little bit more. So this podcast is always recorded, and the reason it's always recorded is I'm uh, a bit OCD, and I'm totally paranoid that one day when it's going to be live, the power in our building is going to go out, or the internet's going to go out, or something's going to happen that's going to screw up the podcast, so I just always record it. And I am grateful that I have always done that, because there have been tons of issues that have happened. The thing is, I record the podcast for that purpose. When people do webinars... Uh, historically, I've seen most of our clients, uh, you know, build promotional streams and a landing page and registered people, and then done the webinar live and send out reminders and have them ideally, you know, put it on their calendar. Um, certainly, YouTube is anytime, anywhere, and even the content like this podcast can be listened to anytime, anywhere. So, have you seen? Is there a best practice? Is the question? And have you seen a transition to just people recording webinars and putting them out at any time, and then just driving people to their their content channels or to the uh, subscribe? What are your thoughts? It's actually interesting um, that so that I mean, we we of course have uh, all the data on webinars that are run on our network. So I can tell you down to almost the percentage point, the breakdown between live and, and on demand. Um, it's a, about a third of webinars are, are, are on demand or pre-recorded. Um, so I mean, two thirds are, are live. What's interesting though, is when we have, um, uh, uh, a, a cab or we, we get, um, we, we get our customers together to talk about challenges, whether it's product related or not almost no one runs the webinars live. So even though the data supports that most people are still running them live, uh, when, when we talk to our best customers, they're, 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 they're following the, the same practices that, that you do for the same reasons, by the way, right? Like if anything goes wrong, you can re-record it. Um, you have ultimate flexibility. I think what's really important is that it comes across live. Yeah. People don't still, like they don't see a play button down at the bottom. They don't, you know, they they can't necessarily just skip around. Um, and there are different things you can do. You can chapterize it. Um, there, there's there's different tricks. However, I, I think it's important that the the attendee feels like it's a live presentation, even if in fact it is not. And that is certainly your guys' area of specialization. Your platform allows video. It allows you know live streaming to large audiences, and um, certainly all the traditional stuff as well. When do you see people you know using video versus just just a screen? What is it a type of content or a type of marketing strategy? Um, it's uh, it's probably the convenience factor. Um, there are times where it's just more convenient to uh, to not be on camera. Um, whether it's, you know, you're, you're kind of not prepared to, I mean, like I look like a slob right now. I don't really care. You know, we're, we're, we're over, you know, we're just, we're audio only. Uh, if it was a, if it was a visual presentation, I probably would have dressed differently. Um, a lot of it comes down to, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I'll list a couple. A lot of it comes down to, um, how comfortable the speakers are. Um, we hear this a lot and actually I think we should provide content on this next year. Webinar world is, um, just some some tips and tricks for presenters, um, and I, I think a lot of people just don't feel that comfortable on on camera. 
Um, and uh, and then the last, I think, is um, and I think this is the worst of all, uh, is, is they're just uh, it's status quo, right? They're just oh, I've never done video webinar. Why would I change? Um, so I think some people are just resistant to change. Good tips. I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot now and ask. Um, by the way, you know what I was thinking is you pull off messy hair though really well. Like that's that's part of your look. So when you say oh, you know I'm I'm messy right now, you pull off messy hair. So kudos to you for doing that. Not many can. Well, I, I I spend like three minutes in the morning getting ready, and two of those minutes are shaving. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure I'd recommend my look to most people. All right, well works for you, Joe. Um, all right. Marketing to marketers. A lot of the people who I know listen to demand gen radio are in the MarTech community, uh, marketing companies. I have always enjoyed, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really until demand gen that I got to so much market to marketers, all of the companies that I worked for in the past, you know, yet while they were B2B, they, Mm -hmm. um, it was different industries. And I'm, I'm curious to get from you just, thoughts on the challenges or opportunities of marketing to marketers, because that is, as I imagine, your primary audience. Yeah, it, that is our primary audience. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm honest to a fault, um, and uh, I, will, I will display that right now. When I left my last industry, uh, which was, um, uh, it was the electronic payments, electronic invoicing, um, pretty dull space. Um, we had great marketing. Uh, I, I loved what I did, but I was ecstatic uh, to market to my own field, to market to marketers. I was incredibly excited about it. There are parts of it that I love. I love um, probably what I love most is virtually every discussion I have. Uh, I'm talking to someone who, who knows a good deal about marketing, whether that's a, a current customer, um, if I'm helping our sales team, um, uh, perhaps convince someone to work with on 24, um, um, partners like you. Um, so I love that. Um, it might end there. Uh, it's frustrating how self-serving, um, many, uh, marketers, particularly vendors in this space are. Um, and again, I would, I would, I would say that, that we can, you know, slip on the slippery slope as well. Um, it's natural to be somewhat self-serving, um, everyone has a pipeline or revenue target. Uh, if you were talking to someone who can in fact use your product, it's natural to, um, uh, to, uh, to at least want to push them to. Um, and unfortunately I think it just creates a lot of bad habits, creates a lot of, um, uh, a lot of quid pro quos, which I don't think is really healthy. Um, and, uh, it, it, it produces a, again, a lot of, um, self-serving content. Um, I mentioned to you, uh, earlier that, um, I mean, my, uh, my backlog of, um, uh, invitations on LinkedIn is, is, uh, is so overwhelming because there are just so many quote unquote marketers, but they're really salespeople, yeah. um, uh, in disguise who are looking to connect and you don't necessarily even know them. Um, but again, they're, they're pushing their self-serving agenda. I've certainly raised the bar on who I connect with on LinkedIn and I've certainly been more, conscious that I'm really trying to build a quality network over quantity. And, and for anyone listening, if you're not really using LinkedIn to build your network and as a content platform, I would encourage you to do so because I think it's a very uh, effective platform 
for B2B marketing, no doubt. That's that's what um, you know my focus is. In fact, I unconnected or I disconnected, that's the right way, um, Joe, with I think 237 people from India. Uh, yeah. And there was two reasons that I did that last week. Um, has nothing to do with India or people from India. It has to do with, I believe, AI, because I, in the early days, would just accept, 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 no matter who it was. Do not do that, everyone. I did that. And I had, like I said, about 250 people from India that I not only didn't know, but I have no connection with or will have a connection with. Their roles, their responsibilities, the things they do um, are not relevant to the network that I need to build and the content that I create for uh, people. And what was happening was because I was connected to so many people in a country and in certain roles and organizations, it was perpetuating more people wanting to connect from me. So I have seen a huge decline in the number of connections coming in from India and from people that really uh, shouldn't be in my network, and I, you know, it's um, it is quality over quantity, and and there's, I just wanted to add that AI element, uh, but I think it's a wonderful platform for publishing content, short form content, probably more than long form content and posts, uh, but but certainly a powerful um, tool. The um, when last time we chatted off the podcast, you were pretty fired up about what you call the bullshit happening in marketing and a little bit of the overdone frameworks and such. Would you mind just replaying some pieces of, of that passion that you had and frustration that you had? Because I think there's a lot of value from it. Yeah. Um, some of it's an extension of what I, I just said is happening within B2B marketing in general. Um, I, think, I think another component is marketers just becoming uh, a, a, little, a little lazy. Um, uh, I'll give you I'll give you one example. Uh, I'm a, I, I am in fact a, a a big believer in account-based marketing. Um, I think it is uh, a, a a trend, if you will, that is in fact here to stay. Mm-hmm. But I think it's here to stay because um, personalization and delivering the right message to the right person, um, perhaps at the right time. Uh, is 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 never is never going to that will never be a fad that goes away right I mean that that is what great marketing is about um, and so but what does frustrate frustrate me about marketers um, is we're so uh, we we so much perseverate around new technologies um, that uh, I, I think many marketers are are investing in ABM without the proper foundation or, 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 or real strategy to be successful with it. Um, you know, running, running offsite display ads, uh, just because you technically can, doesn't mean you should. Um, uh, and I think, uh, I think a lot of marketers, um, become so enamored with whatever the latest bell or whistle or trick is, um, that that in many ways takes the place of a, of a true marketing strategy and building a proper foundation to ensure that you're delivering the right message to whoever your your audience is. Um, and that's just one example. And that's an example of technology I actually believe in. Mm-hmm. Never mind like social media aggregators and um, all these all these different pieces of the MarTech stack that probably won't even exist someday. Um, I think I think we as marketers need to chill out on um, the obsession with 
with all things tech. And I say that being a technologist, right? So um, if it frustrates me, I mean, it must frustrate the, the hell out of a regular marketer who's not actually a vendor. Well, we do at DemandGen, we do so much to help our clients be successful with the use and adoption of MarTech. I mean, that's what we do. So we give a lot of, you know, recommendations and prescriptions about, you know, what tools they need in their stack, what tools they should sunset. We actually have a formal uh, consulting engagement around MarTech assessments. And so to your point, Joe, like we don't, we want to make sure that our clients don't do random acts of buying and buy all these different tool sets and then, you know, not get value from them and not get impact from them. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that marketers continue to look at new tools, well, there's a bunch of reasons. One is that some of them are really powerful and very useful, uh, just like we saw with CRM and marketing automation, right? There's another tool, right? There's the hope that there's another tool that's going to provide tremendous value. Um, a lot of us in marketing are naturally early adopters and innovators, especially in this era. So we're looking for because we like new tools and technology. And then there's the, you know, just the pressure. There's the demands on the role. Um, and I, I agree with your point. By the way, I also agree with your point about ABM. I announced, I think, um, last week, Recently, really formally, I put up the new book cover for my book. It's called Agents of Change, and it's the strategies and technologies of high-performance marketers. And I'm writing, actually, right now, the chapter on ABM. So that is top of mind for me, and I have broke it into the people, the processes, and the technologies for doing ABM right. Um, My first book was all about lead management, and I really broke that down into the key principles, which, by the way, is still the number one episode on my on demand gen radio the podcast um which is interesting because i don't promote it a lot uh you know in any special channel or anything but that is one people turn to so building upon that joe i said you know what i want to do for account-based marketing what i did for lead management and break it down and tell people you know um, how to do it how to align what tools to use and what processes to uh to follow and that's just one chapter of the new book so um, I say that because, you know, I had to give a lot of thought over the years, like, you know, what chapters would be in the book. And I worry a lot about fads, right? Not being trends and not being things here to stay. And I don't want to create a book of something that became topical, but then disappeared or focus on a particular technology that's going to evaporate at some at some point. That's probably one of the things that I obsess over a little bit, which is, you know, when's the right time to publish the book? Because so much is changing. And I felt that this is the year. And this is the time frame to do it because so much has changed since my last book. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I wonder, um, uh, so I, I, I've been at companies where we've published books. I haven't authored one myself. Um, is it hard to pull the trigger? Like, is it hard to know when it's done? This, so not pull the trigger getting started. You mean pull the trigger it, when it's done? Yeah, you know, finish. Uh, Gary, it's like, Versus, you know, you create a digital asset and you don't like it, and a couple of days later you change it, right? You, I mean, you you send that baby to print like it's over. Yeah, I um, there's there's two two things that are really hardest in the process is starting and ending. That that really is is it. And so the techniques that I use, in case anybody's listening that wants to write a book someday, um, the the key to getting started is not just establishing the goal, 
but letting people know that you're working on the book, just as I mentioned to you and I've done online. I started that process about six months ago. So, you know, there's there's something psychological about not only writing down your goals, but even a more of just telling people you're going to do something because you'll hold yourself more accountable to it. So you got to just start. And And Joe, I didn't know when to start because I didn't know when things would kind of um, get steady enough that it seemed like the right time because we've gone through more change in digital marketing in the last five years than we probably have in 15 years. And so I kind of felt that there was a point where things would, I don't want to say slow down, but form enough that I could write a book um, you know, on how our clients have become agents of change and what they've done from technology and processes and how they're building their their team. So there was enough certainly enough content, and I felt that it had stabilized is probably the right word um, for me to document all the success stories that we had been doing with our clients. And then in terms of getting it done, what I find works for me uh, and the publisher is committing to a thing. So the book launch, you know, either an event or, you know, something that's part of our marketing strategy, so I have to be done by then. And then um, it's kind of like coming up with the first episode and last episode of a show. I know when I'm starting, I know when I'm finishing, and then I built the schedule in between there to make sure that I could um, accommodate that. And that's what I did, and, and I'm tracking well, pleased to say. Yeah, a little pressure, right? Like <laughs> a date, uh, a due date uh, helps get anything done. That's why I hate event marketing. It is the reason that I hate event marketing the most because it's game on. I mean, like you talk about digital marketing, sometimes you can move this or move that or adjust things around. But when it's event marketing, it's just, it's everything's on and you got to crush it. And then it ends very quickly, typically, like you guys are doing with this world tour. And there's just a lot of stress that comes from, uh, you know, a, a marketing program being such finite in terms of start date and end date and everything you have to pull together. Well, hey, man, thank you for joining me and sharing such great tips. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time, especially when you were about to head out around the world. Good luck with the tour. And um, again, appreciate the tips. Yeah, uh, Dave, thanks. Uh, I, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Very much value the partnership that our two companies have and all the great work we do. And thanks for having me on a lot of your shows recently. I enjoyed doing uh, some of the live streaming that we did and having uh, being on your podcast. So good luck on the tour. I'll check back with you when you get back in the States and see how things went. All right. My best to the team. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Don't forget, you can go back and listen to any episode that you want. I mentioned uh, some of the ones that I've done. If you go to demandgenradio.com, Uh, You can just easily, from your browser, check out all the different episodes. And then certainly, hopefully, you are um, taking your podcast app on your phone, whatever one that is, and subscribing to the channel so that you can see all the different episodes and listen to them. There's been some great content this year. um, And I I know you guys are tuning in like crazy because I'm enjoying watching the stats and watching this thing just hockey stick. Um, Every month, month over month, we are just crushing our last month's numbers Uh, on listeners. And that means I hope that the content is great. If you have suggestions, feedback, as I said, I'm on LinkedIn regularly. Do send uh, your thoughts. I'd love to hear your feedback on the program. And if you have any suggestions of people or topics you'd like on, certainly bring those forward. But that's going to do it, everybody. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, 
thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.